I, I, I don't know if I can keep doing this. What's the problem? Well, so they keep making new films, Nick. Like, I, I watch film after film after film, and they're just... You never reach they, they keep on coming out with more. It's hard work. It's, I'm never going to get to the end of it. Just going to be doing this until the day we bloody well die. you got square eyes. Yeah, well... Let's just uh, plow through this one more time. Hello and welcome to the Hi-Hat Film Podcast, a comical and critical look at the world of film. I am one of your hosts, uh, Mr. Michael Clancy, and joining me once again, as always, is the Tango to my cash, the Turner to my hooch, the Dewey to my Huey, Mr. Nick Murray. <laughs> Thank you. What a lovely introduction. You're like the face of uh, movie video and I've got a face for it. Oh, very good. Yeah, thanks only my mother, good luck. <laughs> yes, so, well, we've got another action-packed show for you today. We've got uh, our top five, as always, our theme top five, and we're branching into new territory. We've celebrated a lot of fine actors in our top fives in the past. This time we're turning the attention to the women, and we're doing the top five films of Scarlett Johansson. Well, it's 2014, Michael. Women can, can do things now. Yeah. And they can do films. They're letting them in films and whatnot, and she's she's done a few good ones. Well... <laughs> we'll, we'll get to that we'll get to that and we also have our Hi-Hat DVD club the film this week was chosen by Hi-Hatter John Fitzpatrick and we're going to be reviewing the 1970s sci-fi classic Silent Running Silent Running I'm excited for this Michael yeah you got yeah. lots to say about it I do have lots to say about it actually yeah. Hi-Hatter Hall of Famer John Fitzpatrick mm-hmm. absolutely only guy that will contribute so without further ado shall we get into our film of the week Do you want me to get the ball rolling on this? Why not, Michael? Roll the ball. Okay, well, this... My film of the week is really the film for, like, my my inner 14-year-old who was a massive fan of martial arts. And I don't mean literally. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, growing up, absolutely loved martial arts films. Loved the films of Bruce Lee, early Jet Li stuff, later on Tony Jaa, you know, all, all that stuff. I absolutely loved it as a kid. So for me... My film of the week was the big release in cinemas recently, uh, The Raid 2. The Raid 2. Yep. It's an Indian martial arts film, crime epic, from Welsh filmmaker Gareth Evans. And I'm sure you'll remember The Raid 1, Nick, or The Raid Redemption, as it was known in America. Basically, Indonesian SWAT team in Jakar sent to this uh, sort of abandoned tower block Mm -hmm. to capture this drug lord. They get there, uh, they get locked in. And the drug lord announces, if you kill these guys, you can all live here rent-free. And it's basically just filled with all this, like, kind of cronies and henchmen and drug dealers and stuff. So it's them versus the cops as they try and battle their way to the front. And the, the center of it was this wee guy called Iko Ues, who played a character called Rama. And he was sort of just this absolute martial arts master of brute and absolutely pummeled people all Master the brute? Yeah. I like that. Just for, like, a little guy. That's so, the other shape I'm wearing, actually. <laughs> master brute. It is powerful. <laughs> it's like a computer game. It's almost like going through different levels and facing different bosses to reach the top, is it? Yeah, so that, yeah, exactly. And it, it was very frantic, fast paced. It was a 90 minute film and it was non stop. There was really no time for kind of like story or anything like mm. that or people to sit down and talk about their problems. It was like literally non stop from, from the, from the get go. Yeah. So this is the sequel to that and this is Evan's attempt to kind of expand the universe as it were. It's set shortly after the events of the first film. Rama is back and he decides to go undercover to kind of bring down Jakarta's crime syndicate as well as end police corruption. To begin with he 
gets himself arrested, he goes into prison where he earns the trust of one of the major kingpin's sons, and they kind of form a bond, and then he gets out and he works for him and he does odd jobs and eventually gets into deep and basically has to punch his way out. The first film was a surprise hit. This one, obviously, sequels are always problematic because, especially if it's a sequel to something that was kind of a surprise hit, yeah. because that has the element of surprise and it kind of catches people out. And this one, you know, there was posters for it everywhere. It had, like, the greatest action film ever, the dark night of action films is what it was billed as, rather confusingly. So this kind of had the burden of expectation. And... While it perhaps isn't the greatest action film of all time, it is a very, very, very good film. I mean, the action set pieces are just phenomenal. Gareth Evans is basically this parkour filmmaker where he attaches his camera to things and he drags it through the mud and he climbs up walls and he throws it through windows and stuff to kind of follow along with all the action. It's of the highest order, you know, it's just absolutely breathtaking. There's like a fight in... Like a confined space, he gets he ends up fighting about thirty guys in a bathroom. There's a big sort of prison riot on a muddy yard courtyard. There's some really really outlandish henchmen in there as well. You've got this uh, girl that fights with two hammers and her brother who like does his fighting with a baseball bat. You've got this machete wielding homeless guy who is played by an actor who was in the first film and he was so good they decided they were going to have him back, but just as a completely different character in this uh-huh. film. And he's absolutely fantastic as well. Just a normal night in Glasgow, really, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's absolutely phenomenal. I mean, the action is breathtaking. It's wonderfully creative. I mean, just to kind of choreograph all of it. I mm. mean, it's a it's a, a film that a lot of action films could learn from, but also like sort of modern musicals and like dance films. You know, the Gareth, yeah, Gareth Evans could go on to do something like Step Up, Step Up Five, yeah. Indonesian Nights, or something like that. And, <laughs> It would be just as watchable, I'm sure. Only slight things with it is the actual plot and you know having to actually introduce the plot to kind of add the extra hour to it. It's something we've definitely seen before. You know, mm. Going undercover, it kind of treads all of that similar ground as, say, Donnie Brasco or Infernal Affairs. There's even kind of little nods to The Godfather in there as well. So apart from that, and it does slow down and you get these quiet moments which are a little bit on the unnecessary dull side. They do look absolutely beautiful, but... To be honest, I would rather have more time spent on the henchman, like uh, this guy called the Assassin. He's just a sort of silent guy, and he just turns up and he's got like these little blades on his hands and he slices people. And also like Hammer Girl and Baseball Bat Guy, who's just amazing. Hammer Girl, yeah, love it. Yeah, now, so absolutely spectacular. You raised an interesting point about expanding a universe after um, a kind of sleeper hit film. Yeah, and this reminds me of one of your favorite foreign films, Wreck. Mm-hmm. Where you know the first one was an unexpected worldwide hit, and then the second one they kind of had to elaborate on the story and the the myth behind uh, the whole thing, and uh, it kind of got diluted a bit. Would you say the same was it for this? Well, yes and no. I mean, certainly, while the plot doesn't do it any particular favors, I'm glad I'm glad they tried to do something with it mm. because. I don't want to see, you know, the raid 2 where they just do the same formula in a different location. I don't want to see the raid like on a submarine or in a yeah. plane, as cool as that might sound. Like, branching out is the only way you could go with it. So I'm glad he did it, and a lot of it's great. It's just this little bit that kind of drags it down. So it was the right decision, just perhaps not pulled off as good as it could have been. Yeah. Yeah. I'm excited. I'm, I'm annoyed because I've been trying to watch the raid 1 for a long time, but mm. trying to sell that film to my significant other yeah. she's just she's not buying it at all Michael she'd rather watch something silly so yeah it's a tough watch it is I'm, I'm going to have to watch it on my own oh well you should get to see it because it is remarkable yeah yep. good one yes
Good and current. Mm. Well, Michael, I'm going to take you back to 2009 mm-hmm. for my film of the week. It is Fish Tank, mm-hmm. which has been glaring at me from my Netflix uh, for a long time. It's been enticing me in into the fish tank. It's grittier than a sand sandwich. Director Andrea Arnold, mm-hmm. who we know from uh, Red Road, yeah. uh, set in Scotland, and the 2011 take on Wuthering Heights, which yes. I, believe, I believe you've seen. Uh, it stars relative newcomer Katie Jarvis as Mia, a troubled teenager living on a very chavy Essex estate with her mother and annoying little sister. And the girls, instead of having this kind of family love, they've almost got like a family rivalry where they're all kind of out for themselves. And um, interesting dynamic. Uh, Mia's world changes when her mother brings home her new boyfriend, Connor, played by some guy uh, called Michael Fassbender. He's so hot right now. Uh, who becomes a kind of kindly and supportive influence to uh, the girl's chaotic life. Now, this film is so gritty. and I mean, I know I, I say that word a lot, but it is, it is so real. And I think this realism really came uh, from just how mundane and how normal the scenes in this film are. Uh, as far as production goes, the cast were only given their script for the scenes in that week, so mm-hmm. they didn't know what was eventually going to happen to the characters, and I think that really lends itself to the way the characters feel, you know, for a, a relative newcomer to handle that kind of responsibility. Maybe mm-hmm. it's better for her not to know what's going to happen so she can evolve with the character. Yeah, it's uh, very true to life, you know, not knowing where you're, where you're going. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the tension in the drama in this film comes from this very believable character uh, development. Michael Fassbender, obviously... Amazing, um, Katie Jarvis in the starring role was this is her first real acting role. She was actually discovered on an Essex train station having a blazing argument with her boyfriend um, when she was unemployed and uh, had dropped out of school. And uh, a casting agent from Andrea Arnold like followed her on the train. And when she got off, she ran up to her and said, "You know, I, I loved your passion back there in that argument." and and tried to cast it for the film. So really quite a, an original origin story for, uh, I like that. for that her career. reminds me of Thomas Turgus in This Is England. Exactly. Yeah. So it's, uh, it's schemy, it's a kind of dark, coming-of-age film, and it's just, it's just very dark and believable. This, this whole thing with her being a dancer, that's the only thing she really cares about. And this came out uh, back in 2009 when we had Step Up. Yeah. I know you just tried to elaborate on the franchise there, but you know that was all the street dance and a really glossy side of it. But this film kind of shows what dance can really mean to, to young people and um, right. something I'd not really given much thought to, being you know, more of a, a John Travolta kind of dancer myself. <laughs> Uh, and it's just um, very interesting, much like Red Road, her, her earlier effort, it follows a very troubled woman and very pitiful, hormone-enslaved men. This angry young woman figure we've not really seen explored in films. We've seen lots of films with the angry young men, of course, um, yeah. in Scotland. Of course, it's Sweet Sixteen, which is a fantastically celebrated independent film. And this is very much a kind of English female version of Sweet Sixteen. Right. Very interesting, sometimes uncomfortable viewing, but it's so vivid are these performances. And uh, this discomfort really comes from something close to a voyeuristic guilt oh. on the part of the watcher, Michael. How, how'd you like that analysis? Wow. So, um, yeah, it won the, uh, the jury prize at Cannes in 2009, BAFTA Best British Picture in 2010, and now. Nick Murray's Film of the Week on the Hi-Hat Film Podcast. And some might say that is the highest honour of them all. Well, I would like to think so. Not me, of course. Well. But, yeah, no, I've heard, I've heard lots of great stuff about it. I've, I have been wanting to see it for a while. 
talking about Andrew Arnold, I had problems with Wuthering Heights. It's a bit tiresome, but it, it looks fantastic. Mm. She can definitely set the tone through the images on, on screen, so she does that very well. Yeah, she's a really tough director, lots of very tough scenes. I don't know if you've seen Red Road, but mm. there's uh, some very lengthy, sexually explicit scenes, right. and my, my girlfriend had the the honour of watching that with their mother, and oh, cool. and then that crept up, and it makes for uncomfortable viewing. But absolutely, that's good. Though. That's nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah. there we go. Interesting uh, couple of films there for, for film of the week, Michael. Yeah, uh, well, I'd say so. Yeah. Yeah, Brilliant. I would too. Smashing. Top five. Top five. Top five. Top five. Top five. How are you feeling about top five, Michael? I'm feeling. I was really excited to tackle the films of Scarlett Johansson, particularly, and I don't want to give a, a spoiler because of some of her more, more recent work. I think she's been doing some terrific stuff recently, and I'm sure we'll both speak of that later on. Mm. And so I was excited to kind of delve back into some of her earlier stuff. And what we found, it's a, yeah, well, I, I think we'll get into it more as the list goes on. I'm but, excited. I'm sure across the studio there you can feel the heat from my undercarriage. I've <laughs> yes. got absolute scarlet fever for this one, Michael. <laughs> Very good. I'd just like to say, you know, I was excited as well. And then I think um, with, with somebody as famous as Scarlett Hansen, it's a given that she's been in some really interesting stuff. But looking at it, I, I find it quite tricky. And I think one of our hi-hatters uh, mentioned that She's not in that much good stuff, and some of the stuff that she's in is perhaps good despite of her. I thought that was um, an interesting I don't know point. if I would say good in spite of her. Mm. I would say good, but she maybe doesn't have an awful lot to do with why that's good, and that might come up in a couple of my films. I think for for everything that I've, I've seen going through some of her back catalogue, I don't think she's bad in a lot of things. Mm. Like she might, I think she's been in quite a few bad films, it would seem, but... I wouldn't go as far as to say that she's been bad in anything I've seen, certainly, yeah. which I think makes for an interesting one. Agreed. So before we begin, Nick, a very important thing we need to tackle, is it Scarlett Johansson or is it Scarlett Johansson? I say Johansson because I imagine her recording a hip-hop album with the Hansen brothers. Okay, well, I suppose if you're going to call her Johansson, I'll call her Johansson, and uh-huh. that way... One of us will be right, at least. Yeah. Yeah. And then, yeah. They can be like, oh, those hi-hat guys have got a great back and forth. Exactly. One of them being wrong and... We'll we'll make it look like we're doing it on purpose. I love it. I love where your head's at. All right. Well, I can kick things off with my number five. It's a film that I absolutely love. I think it's terrific. It would probably be number two or number one on my list if she had a bigger role in Ah, this film. Okay. It's uh, the 2006 Christopher Nolan film, The Prestige. Mm. So if we were to do top five Christopher Nolan films, top five Hugh Jackman, top five Christian Bale films, this would probably be one, two, or three for that. It's number five here just because she does have a significantly smaller part in it. What a beautifully responsible take you've you've taken on this, Michael. You could have fast-tracked that to the front, but Mm -hmm. you said, no, she's hardly in it, number five. Yeah, so it's the story of these two ride magicians played by Christian Bale and Hugh Jackman, and it's really about their obsession to be the best at all costs and how their rivalry kind of pushes them to not only kind of improve themselves in their craft, but then also self-destruct as human beings as well. So a terrific cast, as well as Scarlett Johansson, you've got Christian Bale, Hugh Jackman, Michael Caine, David Bowie pops up in there. Johansson plays Olivia Wenscombe, who is the assistant slash lover of Hugh Jackman's character, Robert Angier. It's a tricky role. I mean, this is, it is kind of just a double header and 
of uh, Bale going up against Hugh Jackman in a lot of ways and by definition playing the assistant to one of these people she, her role is pretty much just window dressing mm. in, in a lot of ways which is why this is number five but that being said she plays her part well she kind of as Jackman's assistant she's kind of driven into the arms of her rival Borden played by Christian Bale first of all he sort of he sends him intentionally to him to kind of learn his secrets but then she feels kind of snubbed and then that something real develops between them and it's nicely done you know she's kind of put upon and you can she kind of plays that scorned lover and then later on when she I don't really want to spoil it but you know she's a kind of experiences loving half of Christian Bale and you know it's sort of the same as loving half of Hugh Jackman's character because he he probably loves his his profession more than he loves it loves her mm-hmm. anyway so she's throughout the film she's kind of she's always kind of playing second fiddle to these men's like obsession with magic and she does that really well she does sort of carry the weight of this woman who who knows however much she loves either of these men she's never going to be loved fully back and that's kind of a theme for the other women in this film as well I mean the film is absolutely terrific the length these men go to for the trick and for the magic and for the illusion I mean they hurt themselves they hurt complete strangers sitting in the audiences and they kind of tear apart their families as well so she plays her part very well she's perhaps just a cog in this study on how obsession can drive you to do terrible things but like 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 I said to begin with, she she's not bad. She is good. It's a a, a fairly minor role, but she does it very well. Mm. Mm. It's interesting. Yeah, bit of a love triangle going on, maybe. Y- yeah, well, not. not so much. It, it doesn't even get that far. Really? It doesn't get that much developed, unfortunately. Wow. Like it's, he's always more annoyed that she's betrayed him for the magic, wow. rather than oh, I've lost, I've lost Scarlet. Yeah. Wow, obsession, so, eh? Yes. This is the name of the game. It is. So that's the prestige. I'm actually going to watch that tonight, Michael. Good. Yeah. That's great. I absolutely love it. Cool beans. Mm-hmm. Okay, Michael, for number five, if I was to say that there was a film adaptation of the best-selling self-help book, he's just not that into you, mm-hmm. starring some of the heavyweights of PG-13 fluffy popcorn nonsense, Jennifer Aniston, Ben Affleck, Drew Barrymore, Jennifer Connelly, Justin Long, Bradley Cooper... And, of course, our girl, Scarlett. Uh, you'd be excited. I'd turn the podcast off. If you Which, yeah. <laughs> um, on paper, this is, this is a very interesting study of the effects of uh, mixed signals and social tropes and romantic pitfalls and uh, essentially human nature as well, Michael, through a multi-strand narrative uh, featuring some of Hollywood's most beloved stars. Mm-hmm. Sadly, it turns out to be as if uh, Sex and the City writer Candace Bushel directed all the random good-looking extras from How I Met Your Mother in uh, a forgettable film. Yeah. So when you say on paper, you mean the book's really good, but the, <laughs> the film's not, not quite so great. I've seen this film. It's, That's good. It's, That's a start. No, but it's it's instantly forgettable. I'd forgotten that I'd seen it. Me and uh, and my lovely girlfriend were, were discussing Scarlett Johansson. We were trying to remember what this film was with mm-hmm. Jennifer Connelly and Bradley Cooper and all these people, and we just couldn't put it together. Yeah, um, yeah it's it's very strange. I, I'd like to play a little clip of the, of the trailer. My right, that's okay. okay. We're all programmed to believe that if a guy acts like a total jerk, that means he likes you. Hey, Connor, I hadn't heard from you, and, I mean, how stupid is it that a gal's got to wait for a guy's call anyway, right? 
we're all equal, right? Um, more women are accepted into law school now than men. Call me. He's totally gonna call. This guy, he MySpaced me. Ouch. MySpace is a new booty call. Oh. You know, I had a game with the old. I'll call you right back. Call back? Should you call back? No. I know. I'm gonna call back and say I'm going to bed. What? No. It's I... a genius idea. It's 9.30. I just need you to stop being nice to me unless you're going to marry me. This feels like a trick. There are many people who never get married. Ooh. Look at Al Pacino. Never been married. Happy as a clam. Would that, am I, would I be Al Pacino in this scenario? You have no messages. Were you obsessing, pacing back and forth, staring at your phone for days? Maybe he lost my number, or is out of town, or got hit by a cab. Or maybe he has no interest in seeing you again. But I just love the YouTube comments. It's very divided between the gender. It's like 120 minutes of female nonsense. And two hours. Something like that. Maybe not. Right. And then you've got women saying, you know, this is fantastic. This character should do this. And writing big essays on YouTube about the characters. And then you've got men just saying, I had to see this film with my girlfriend. It's even worse <laughs> than the trailer makes it look. So... Let's, uh, let's look at a couple of the plots. So I mentioned this multi-strand narrative. We've got a girl on the pool who misreads signals and gets hung up. She meets a charming bartender played by man-child Justin Long, who yeah. enlightens her on the mysteries of uh, men's dating tactics. We've got um, a long-term couple, unmarried, by, uh, played by Jennifer Aniston and um, Ben, what's his name? Ben Affleck. And uh, they really kind of save the, the film, I think. Um, you know, she wants to get married. All of her sisters are married. Her friends are married. Um, there's that ticking noise from her ovaries. And uh, her man doesn't believe in marriage. And uh, then we've got Scarlett Johansson, who serves as uh, a kind of protagonist of sorts. She's a homewrecker of Bradley Cooper and um, Jennifer Connelly's relationship. Uh, she plays the other girl quite well, but there's also the kind of... The, her struggle of being the other girl and being only used for sex and she actually finds um, in another plot line she has uh, Kevin Connolly who people might know as E from Entourage mm -hmm. and he's kind of stuck in the friend zone with Scarlett Johansson uh, she uses him for almost like as, as a sexless boyfriend he is she's relying on him for all the emotional aspects of relationship that she doesn't get as a mistress and that really puts upon um, him, you know, he's misreading her, her signs, you know, movie nights and being there for her when she's upset as her being into him. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's, it's quite an interesting study of all these things, but... She's just not that into him. Bang on the money, Michael. Right. I feel like you've seen it as well now. Let me just elaborate more on my feelings about this. Well, there's more. There's a little bit more. Jesus. What could have saved this? Because I think there's potential here. There's, right. there's real potential. Mm -hmm. What could have saved this film? Vince Vaughn replaces Ben oh Affleck, God. and we have the prequel to the film The Breakup, which I like a lot. Okay, he's in there, and I think his performance would have uh, really raised that. Like his kind of cynical, I can't love anyone, but I do actually have feelings. Mm. But his singer would be great. No, I was I was writing this review last night, and to be fair, I'd been on the Lambrini a little right. bit, Michael. So Sounds here's, like it. here's some more of my thoughts on what could uh, make this better. I've just written Anna Faris. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And also, um, I'd like to see Samantha from Sex and the City just pop up and say things like, nice package, <laughs> and bottoms up. Oh. I think that would really raise the comedy and get a few yeah. laughs. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I, I mean, it's number five. I think she puts in a good uh, performance. Yeah, well, the, I suppose it, 
if you you've talked so much about the film, it's maybe worth saying: is she good in it? She's great in it. Yeah. She like as I say, this this the burden of the other women we've we've seen it um, in um, Faithful Attractions and Bunny Boiler, but we've not really seen it in this way. You know, and it's right. interesting. And and Jennifer Connelly does very well also as. Um, this woman, she got married too young, and maybe you know there, she's been a bit cold in her marriage with Bradley mm-hmm. Cooper, and he's sought warmth elsewhere and, and found it in the in the voluptuous Miss Johansson. So um, yeah, she does very well, but it's you know she's not got much to do in it. Yeah, she's just a pretty face, but it's it's an interesting piece, and by interesting I mean terrible. Yeah, and that's your number five. All right, well, I guess you, the only way to go for you is up from that one, but. Uh, before we get to that, my number four is the 2003 Sofia Coppola film, Lost in Translation. Wow. Bill Murray plays a washed-up actor, Bob something or other, who travels to Japan to film a whiskey advert. While he's there, he meets Scarlett Johansson's discontent young woman, Charlotte. The two lost souls form an unlikely bond. I do have some problems with this film. Me too. <laughs> we'll, we'll get to yours in a minute I mean it does meander along there are long sequences where nothing really happens and that seems to be a fairly recurring trope of Sofia Coppola but that being said in between that you do have these great little sections just kind of chucked in there I mean I think it's a really good showcase of Bill Murray's talents you know mm. you've, the scene where he's actually filming his advert and he just sort of sits back and he looks thoughtfully at the character and it's uh, for, for good times. For relaxing times. Santori time or something like that, yeah. which I think is great. His appearance on the chat show is uh, great because you've just got this manic Japanese, almost Graham Norton style presenter. Absolutely. And he goes all mad and then you've just got Bill Murray just being Bill Murray basically, which I think is great. But Let, let me jump in there. Have you seen, is, is, uh, I watched a YouTube video last night about celebrities that do Japanese, crazy Japanese commercials and right. there's Sean Connery doing something exactly the same as this and they've obviously picked it up completely oh, really? and it's just, it's so far removed from Sean Connery sat there with this whiskey and it's, it's exactly the same, it's fantastic. Oh, check that out. But in between that, I mean, for better or for worse, the interactions between Bill Murray's character, Scarlett Johansson's character, are terrific. Mm. I mean, I, I, it's one of her big breakout performances, and she's still very young. I think she's maybe 19, 20 when this film is really? made. Yeah, yeah. And it's just a very, very confident, very, very mature performance from her. They managed to form this connection which kind of it's a bond that seems to even go beyond words like a lot of it is obviously you get that ending which uh-huh. you know it, whatever but apart from that it is this kind of relationship that is based more on looks and feelings and like a connection that goes beyond anything that in particular that they, they ever say as well as that I mean one of my favourite scenes in it is the scene where like just after she's visited his hotel room and he's had it away with like the, the singer at the bar and she oh, yeah. sees him there and then they have that scene where they meet up for dinner and obviously she's very jealous and like she's just kind of ferocious and like you, it's the first time you sort of see that emotion to it and it's really well done and Murray is obviously up to the challenge as well in that scene so I think that is really really well done away from Bill Murray I think she plays this kind of neglected wife really well. Oh, yeah. And, like, she's kind of cynical. She's got no time for Anna Faris, which, obviously, I approve of. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, just the, the way that her husband, played by Giovanni Rubisi, kind of completely ignites 
neglects her, I think is absolutely fantastic. And I think she's been in better films. I think The Man Who Wasn't There by the Coen Brothers is mm. probably better than this, but it's, again, it's a fairly insignificant role for her. Uh, I think Ghost World is potentially a better film than that as well, but again, you know, that's a that film is pretty much tore up. Birch's yeah, uh, story. Yeah, I, I would say in terms of performance, again, and couple of that with her interactions with Bill Murray, I'm sure she learned a lot from him in, in that respect. Yeah, I, I would say this just about makes it in. Yeah. At number four. It's, I mean, it is vastly overrated, but if you take away the hype and the, and the fanfare and yeah. how it's been received, then it's a perfectly competent I think like, it stands nice up film yeah. yeah I think it's it's good to go back to it after the hype because it, it absolutely really was it got a lot of plaudits too much yeah it's it, it's a it's a above average film I'd say yeah with some very very good performances not enough Anna Faris for my liking well we'll agree to disagree on that one we won't so yeah I mean I agree I agree with that Michael I'm yeah I just didn't want to talk about it no no. I, I kind of begrudgingly put it in, I have to say. <laughs> yeah, I watched a couple of her other films recently, and I just thought, well, if I'm being completely honest, Lost in Translation probably deserves to be in this should be but Just if we're talking about performances as well as films from her. And Mate. then we talked about a film that was great in The Prestige, which doesn't have a lot of her in it. We'll talk about a film yeah. where she's great, but maybe isn't the best. That's why you're the professional here, Michael. Well, I try to be. Sometimes you've got to do things you don't want to do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Anyway, um, lovely. I'm going to move straight on to my number four. It is um, just from 2013, uh, directorial debut from Lovable Manchild, another one, mm-hmm. uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt. It yeah. is Don John. Mm-hmm. Great film. Really love this film. Um, I actually read a great um, encompassing review of this online by uh, Michael Clancy. Oh, and yeah, um, well. I'm not going to take anything from that, but that's, that's a good read. People should check that blog out, by the way. Cheers. Cheers, mate. So, um, Gordon Levitt stars as the Don John Martello, a man who, despite his considerable prowess with the ladies, finds real satisfaction and escapism in front of his computer screen, transported to the hedonistic world of online pornography. Mm-hmm. How do you like that synopsis, Michael? It's very apt. Uh, so Scarlett uh, Johansson plays Barbara, a bright, beautiful young girl bound by her morals and raised on uh, the Hollywood fantasies mm. of Prince Charming and Happily Ever After. And um, this is where the film really, really uh, explores these um, these ideals. Mm-hmm. He is uh, trapped in um, a world of false fantasies, mm-hmm. in the world of pornography, and finds it hard to connect with women. Uh, completely thanks to, to pornography and she is looking for this happily ever after that she's been fed through Disney films and stuff like that mm-hmm. and um, it's, it's, it's an interesting one because on paper yeah. they're both good old fashioned people you know they're both looking for the same things in life but this disconnect thanks to media is uh, something that, that, that drives the relationship apart yeah very interesting um, doesn't delve too far into sex addiction um, no which is fine for me. Mm-hmm. We've seen it. I mean, we've seen it done completely in shame. Yeah. So we don't really need to see it in this film, I think. Uh, but instead, it highlights the issue of how accessible porn is mm-hmm. and how it can affect uh, expectations mm-hmm. and uh, and relationships. And that, this is this is a big deal to me. I talk about this a lot with my customers at work, and um, 
it's, a, it's for me, it's a problem for the, the next generation is how easy it is to find these things and uh, how to get lost in, in expectations mm-hmm. and of um, physical expectations. And, and yeah. it's dangerous. And I think as a directorial debut, it's, it's competent, it's mm-hmm. very funny in places, but it does it does deal with this issue very well. Yeah, Julian Moore pops up as kind of the older woman who kind of rescues him from uh, his his online yeah. problems, brings him back to reality. Absolutely, yeah, and a, a great performance from her as as we've we've come to expect now. Yeah. Uh, but it's nice to see Johansson as this kind of trashy trashy girl who's uh, mm-hmm. making him wait for the sex and making him take classes because she wants her man to be to be this kind of guy. She's the kind of girl that only takes her gum out to eat. And, you know, it's nice to see that side of her because before we've seen her as just kind of prissy, kind of hipster chicks. And uh, it's nice to see that side of her. It's nice to see her get the Jersey Shore makeover. Absolutely, that's exactly what it is. Yeah, no, I'm I'm, I'm really glad you you picked this film because the more you talk about it, the more I kind of wish I'd dropped it in mind. Really? It's it's really well done. I really like how... They do have kind of the same problem, but they're just at the complete opposite ends of the spectrum. You know, there's a complete lack of romance in what what um, Don John does, and yeah. then there's just the overload of romance, and it's both. It's going to wind them up in the same place, basically. You Absolutely. Know, it's for both. It's setting up this ideal that doesn't really exist, and yeah, it's a really, really well done performance. You know, there's that there's that scene when. Like they're out shopping for stuff, and he's like, "I'm gonna go get a few Swiffers." And she's like, "Baby, you can't go get that in front of me." And it's like, "Yeah, doesn't want to buy them products." Yeah, and you're just like, "She's being completely ridiculous here," and yet she's meant to be the normal one. Yeah, it's, I, yeah, I thought terrific performance by by the the three main Absolutely. characters in it as well. I, I quite enjoy Eric Roberts as I said that is old man as well. Oh yeah. But uh, yeah, no, really, really good pick on that one. Yeah, I think anyone that's not seen it should seek it out because mm-hmm. it is it is a very interesting piece. And it's, yeah. good, it's good to see um, uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt kind of mature. Yeah, and uh, I, I've been a fan of him way back to Third Rock from yeah, the Sun yeah, and, and Tommy. Ten Things I Hate About You. Like, he's very good in that. Yeah, yeah I he's agree. he's very good and for, for such a competent directorial debut mm-hmm. and great screen presence presence as a lead. You know, the future's bright for this young man. I'd say so. Yeah. yeah. Love it. Yes. All right. Well, that is a, a big jump up from five to four. Thanks, buddy. All right. Well, for me, number three, the 2011 Josh Whedon film, Avengers Assembled, or as it was much more reasonably named in the US, The Avengers. The Avengers, yeah. So it is the ultimate superhero smackdown in which Iron Man, Captain America, Thor, Hulk, Hawkeye and Scarlett Johansson's Black Widow band together to take on the armies of evil Loki, played wonderfully by Tom Hiddleston. Good stuff. So Johansson plays this S.H.I.E.L.D. agent, Natasha Romanoff, aka the Black Widow. And yeah. she's known it, I think only in the comics. I really don't think she's ever been referred to as the Black Widow in any of these Marvel films. Not yet. But, well, what, whatever. Maybe in Winter Soldier, I don't know. Yeah, I'm not, I'm I'm not, not sure. I don't recall. Anyway, but yeah, what I remember reviewing this, seeing this film a few years ago, and I remember in the build-up I just thought, this isn't going to work. They're mm. not going to bring all the parts together. It could have been a total mess, but what they did is... They used about half a dozen movies to kind of lead into this one. So yeah. you had like all the all the like groundwork being laid in the Captain America film, the Thor film, a couple of bits in the Iron Man films, and like those films weren't very good, or they were all right. But 
I guess it kind of worked because then you didn't have to worry about setting up all these backstories and Avengers Assemble. You could just kind of jump right into it and it mm -hmm. reduces the setup time and it works really well. Um, the chemistry between everybody is really, really great. You obviously have um, Tony Stark and Bruce Banner forming this little bromance. You've got this kind of macho rivalry between Thor and the Incredible Hulk. Mm -hmm. You've got sort of leadership issues with Iron Man and Captain America. As well as that, you've also got Tom Hiddleston's Loki being a credible villain, which is surprising considering he's going up against so many heroes. You Absolutely. Think it's not going to work. So that all pays off really well. And then... With all of this, you know, you would think it would be it would have been so 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 easy for Johansson's character to have been completely relegated, completely sidelined, reduced to nothing more than a bit of eye candy. But what she gets is actually some of the most interesting things to do in the film. I mean, she's she doesn't have any like discernible superpowers, mm -hmm. and she doesn't always get the most screen time. But what she gets is really really interesting. She does a lot more with that character than you would see. So. In terms of action, she can handle herself very well. You sort of see her mixing it up with physically with the Incredible Hulk who goes after her at one point, but also just like in fight sequences against Hawkeye and things like that. Mm. She does that very well, and the big battle at the end, she's kind of holding her own as well. In terms of the emotion of the film, and it doesn't get a great deal of time, but you can sense there's a real emotional connection between her and the character of Hawkeye played by Jeremy Renner and yeah, you know, yeah. that's kind of the emotional connection between the team because it's only kind of hinted at through looks and just through like little little quips that they make but you sense they go way back and there's genuine affection there and I like that and it, it does really well and as well as that she gets like her chance to go toe to toe with Loki in a battle of wits like where she kind of tricks him to give up some information when he's in the cage he like oh, yeah. up, and it looks as if he's just like completely dismissing her and it looks as if he's broken her spirit but then it kind of turns on its head and for me that's one of the best scenes in the film because it's just like to for her to sort of go toe to toe with Loki who's known for his tricks and known for his sharpness it, I think it's really strong so I, I I remember writing a review for this back then, and one of the bits I wanted to highlight was how impressed I was that Johansson, she wasn't given a great deal of screen time, but she did really, really well. She used her minutes really well. I, I was really impressed and was very pleased that she was made out to be strong, and you kind of believe that she belonged there, because she, you know, she's, along with Hawkeye, you know, the least famous of those characters. Absolutely. They, I, th I think they did it really well when it could have, it would have just been so easy to have just had this pretty face in a cat suit shooting people. Sure. And she gets so much more than that. So. Well, that's what they've got in the poster, of course, and there was uproar because all the, all the superheroes in the poster are kind of leaping into the action and looking really hard and mm -hmm. she's just kind of pulling this weird kind of sexy pose. Yeah. And somebody did a mock-up of like, what if all the characters were in the same pose as the woman? <laughs> and it's got like Iron Man like showing off his bum and, you, yeah. know, you know, that was the feminist kind of coming out. But inside the film, you're right, she really does hold her own yeah. and... Uh, a very strong female presence. I mean, for me, it's, film marketing is just it's uh, added, isn't added it? to the long list of problems I have with film marketing. But yeah. yes, the airbrushing and general representation of women is uh, certainly there on the list. Yeah, she's good in, in, in all the kind of Marvel things. and yeah. uh, It's a good character. It's a well-done character. Yeah, and, you know, you have to give credit to the directors and to the writers. Sure. She does great with what she's given. Much better than Electra. Well, I haven't seen that, but yeah. Let's, let's go with that. But Electra got her own film, and now there's talk of uh, the Black Widow getting her own film as well. Yeah, I don't, I don't think I need that. You don't either? No. But, but I, I don't need half of the, the Marvel solo projects. That's honest, okay, so. fair point. Yeah. Nice. Okay, well, 
a fantastic review there from Michael. We've come to expect that. Um, <laughs> for my number three, we're going back to 2008. It is Woody Allen's film, Vicky Cristina Barcelona. Mm-hmm. Another uh, Johansson film. A very interesting study on romantic relationships, Michael. So, towering above Woody Allen's, thankfully, brief British projects, but yet not quite a return to his uh, 70s and 80s heyday. We have this film uh, that proves that, you know, he still has a spark for directing and it's undoubtedly still there. Um, it follows Vicky, played by uh, Brit Rebecca Hall, as she works on her masters in Catalan culture, and her um, free-spirited friend Christina, played by Johansson, as they spend a summer in Spain where they are met by the charismatic and refreshingly upfront Juan Antonio, played by uh, Javier Bardem, who proposes they join him in a weekend of good food, fine wine, and lovemaking. Um, fantastic movie. Here's a real smoothie. I mean, that that's a pickup line. That is a risky, a risky one. Doesn't work for Scottish people. No, but he pulls it off. <laughs> yeah. uh, so, with all Woody Allen films that don't star Woody Allen, we need to ask who is playing Woody Allen. We've seen Larry David attempt it in that awful film. Whatever works. Whatever works. No, seen it. Didn't work. We saw Owen Wilson pull it off fantastically in Midnight in Paris. And uh, in this film, it's uh, Rebecca Hall's character, uh, Vicky, who uh, dilutes the neurosis but still keeps the kind of insecurities and tics that we've come to uh, come to love in Alan's work. Now, Michael, I, I think I've reviewed this film before on this show, but let's just say that I was absolutely transported. The real star of this film is Barcelona itself. The wine, the music, the architecture, everything is so lush and colourful. I wanted to be there taking photos and having PG-rated lesbian encounters in dark rooms with Penelope Cruz. And I, I wish I was. I, I can't do that, sadly. And um, moving on to Penelope Cruz, by the time she turns up, we've already had some, some great moments, and she turns up as this completely unhinged on-off lover of uh, Juan Antonio and the mood just completely changes she starts to, to really steal the show and uh, it's almost like she's wandered in off another film that she's doing because she's so apart from this kind of weird love triangle thing that's been bubbling so far in the film yeah lovely fantastic film and nice to see three women showcased uh, so well with just one sexy starring man it's silly utterly silly doesn't have a lot to say, it kind of uh, leaves it on a, a bit of an empty note where nothing's quite resolved and the girls move out to America having maybe learned something about themselves but really just been part of a very odd experience. Yeah. Somewhat forgettable but very competent and uh, monumentally engaging if not engrossing. Like, right. How's like that? I think it's very apt because you mentioned the ending and I can't for the life of me. They just go back to America. Spoiler alert. Yeah. Well, not really. Um, It's narrated by Christopher Evan Welch, who some people might know from The Master and Lincoln. And there's there's something about films that are narrated by someone that's not in the film. For me, it's like having a narrator, it really feels like you're being sped, you're being um, given a story, you're being told a story rather than being invited into Mm. a universe, rather. And um, for me, I really like that. I I like stories to be told like that. And... um, it's just something I like personally. I feel like it's a bedtime story almost, <laughs> and the narrator almost has has control over the characters rather than the, the characters uh, having control over the viewer. 
Yeah. Would you like that, Michael? I like it. I'm really like bringing a lot. I've been thinking this week, mate. Very good. Very good indeed. So that's my number three, Vicky Cristina Barcelona. Jolly good show. Lovely film. Right, well, I believe for not only our number two, but for our number one, we have the same film. We which do. Which perhaps is the most startling revelation of it's a, it's the a first of uh, Scarlett Johansson's work. <laughs> but, it's yeah, a high hat first, Michael, so we're going to go toe-to-toe, mano-a-mano. Maybe we'll get out of here early. <laughs> All right, so number two, um, 2000, well, the year's tricky, 2013, 2014. Came out in the UK in 2014. Mm-hmm. Jonathan Glazer film, Under the Skin. in which Johansson plays this extraterrestrial being who is prowling the streets of Scotland, preying on lonely men, giving them a lift in her white van, and eventually snaring them in her trap. Yeah, so she plays this kind of alien succubus character, and it's a it's a haunting tale. Yes. Uh, Glazer, he's not content with just convincing you that Johansson's not of this world, but it's almost like he's filmed this thing to make you think it's the whole film isn't from this world. It's yeah. like the whole film just feels like this otherworldly experience, and I, I haven't seen anything quite like it, it has to be said. Well, you're right. It's, it's set in a very eerie, cold, and almost gothic uh, Glasgow for most of it, and you're right, A-lister Johansson is almost like an alien in this setting. You know, She's mm-hmm. not of that world completely, and it, it's fantastic casting almost to have somebody mm-hmm. you know usually I've got a problem when I have big stars in roles you know we've spoken before how I can't really see past Jack Nicholson mm-hmm. and I have problems mm-hmm. with him being a character but I think this really works well to see someone like that she is an alien an alien in this setting yeah. and you, she has got that kind of uh, outer worldly presence mm-hmm. in Scotland Yeah. so I think it works fantastically yeah. uh, Jonathan Glazer people might know from Sexy Beasts yes and that amazing Guinness Albert with the horses and, and yeah, the waves. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I find it remarkable. I mean, they've got this kind of opening sequence which takes about five minutes in itself and it looks as if it could be like this alien transporting between universes or it could be the formation of an eye and it's just, it's very, very weird. But the whole the whole look of the film is, is just, is well, you've got this gothic Scotland but then when you kind of go into a sort of rundown house and it's just this completely black abyss, you know, these men are literally following Scarlet to their doom they kind of sink into this abyss and where they eventually, in a really striking scene, they kind of seem to bloat up and then they kind of pop as their life is like all of their organs and stuff have been drained from them so as well as the look though, you've got this sound and I just think that this is one of the most perfect soundtracks to match what is in the film, it's unbelievable, it's done by this uh, British recording artist Mikachu Mm. And it's all over the place. It's unpleasant. It's kind of screechy. Yeah, it's enticing. It's got this kind of dangerous allure to it. And it's all of these contradicting things all wrapped up in one. And it it is just remarkable. No girlfriend, really. Oh, I don't have a girlfriend at all. You're very charming. It's better. Yeah, sorted. Handsome face. Aye, yeah. that's all it is. You think I'm pretty? Aye, they're gorgeous. Do you? Aye, definitely. Good. I think 
Yeah, nice smile as well, whatever. Do I? Aye, big thing. Got him smile. Aye. He's a nice smile on himself. Cheers. Soundtracks can make or break a film. I, I can't remember an example of one going so perfectly yeah, with a film. Because it is eerie and cool, but mm-hmm. also erotic and seductive. Yeah. And the, the score really does lend it to that. It's very, yeah. very interesting. For me, it was kind of like a, a hipster species. Right. Remember that film Species? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But unlike Species, which is a, a glossy, well-lit piece of Hollywood twaddle, this is sci-fi horror set in the world of, of Andrea Arnold, who we mentioned earlier with Fish Tank, mm-hmm. or someone like Ken Loach, and this cold, concrete realism adds another layer of uh, uncomfortable viewing to this, I think. And then, the, you know, just to go back to it, I think Johansson puts in an absolutely mesmerising performance. I mean, she has very little dialogue, but she's very, very engaging a lot of the film is kind of set up with hidden cameras. Yeah. So she's driving about in this van, and there's a hidden camera. She's got a wig on. She speaks in an English accent. And a lot of the scene, there's some scenes with actors, but the, for the most part, she just stops. She gets chatting to guys. She offers them a lift, and she speaks to them. And you kind of, you see all these weird characters along the way, but it's a very, very brave thing to do. Absolutely. There's a scene in it where, like, her van is kind of jumped by a gang of youths. Uh, like in just this little sort of council estate at night time and yeah. I don't that that part of it I, I don't know if that was a real scene or if that was if that was uh, something that was uh, acted out but for her to be able to stay in character for that because she's just staying in character and she drives away and it's just phenomenal I mean the the fact that she can she can stay in character for these things, I think it's absolutely brilliant. That's interesting that you you said mesmerizing. That's exactly what I've I've written as well. Mm-hmm. I've written that she's mesmerizing. It's so far removed from anything that she's done before, mm-hmm. and uh, it's nice to see a director using her sexiness as something evil and and urgent and far beyond a kind of uh, femme fatale trope. Mm-hmm. It's closer to more of a a predatorial hunter found in more mm-hmm. conventional sci-fi outings. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. I mean, it's easy to dismiss her as a pretty face, and I think in in some cases people have dismissed her as a pretty face, and certainly she is very beautiful, and to an extent this is a role which her looks do play an important part. Mm-hmm. You know, obviously she is trying to entice these men, so obviously there is a, the focus on that, but there's just so much more to it than that. There's a bravery to it, there's a maturity to it. It's I, I just think it, it's a remarkable performance, I, and it, the, this was one of the films why I thought we should do a Scarlett Johansson top yeah, five because sure. it's a remarkable performance. Well, this, as you say, was just from from last year, really. And mm-hmm. I, I, you know, there's a couple of films that she's going to be in soon coming out, which will probably yeah. have knocked some of hers out of the top yeah. five. I mean, it's important to say, and you made the species comparison, and I think it's important. You know, people hear Scarlett Johansson in this sort of alien seductress film. I think yeah. they might think they're getting something completely different. Yeah, you know. When you think, oh, Brad Pitt being chased by zombies in Glasgow, and oh, Scarlett Johansson is an alien in Glasgow, yeah. it, it's not that film. I I concede it's definitely not for everyone. It's, if you'll pardon the expression, a very alienating film. It's polarized audiences. Yes, and I I can see why, and I think it's kind of valid. But for me, I think it's a remarkable achievement. So to sum up, I would say really slick direction, a haunting score, vivid, eerie performances, and that makes this a must see. And man number two. Need I say more? No. Need I say more? That was good. That was like a kind of head-to-head mm-hmm. of who can uh, make the best point. And I'm, I've, 
I'm so glad that I won. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> we'll, we'll maybe do a vote online. We'll see. <laughs> All right, so moving on to number one. Our, both our number one film of Scarlett Johansson, 2013-14 Spike Jones film, Her. Her. Mr. Theodore Twombly, welcome to the world's first artificially intelligent operating system. We'd like to ask you a few questions. Okay. Are you social or antisocial? I guess I haven't been social in a while. How would you describe your relationship with your mother? Thank you. Please wait as your operating system is initiated. Hello, I'm here. Hi. Hi, I'm Samantha. Good morning, Theodore. Good morning. You have a meeting in five minutes. You want to try getting out of bed? You're too funny. Okay, good. I'm funny. I want to learn everything about everything. I love the way you look at the world. So it's the story of the relationship that builds between lonely writer Theodore Twadley, played here by Joaquin Phoenix, and his operating system, Samantha, voiced by Scarlett Johansson. Yeah. Spike Jones, of course... We spoke about him a bit last week from Adaptation, Mm -hmm. being John Malkovich as well, Mm -hmm. a competent director. I would say this is probably his most complete film. Very interesting take and highlights the dependence on uh, technological escapism. Absolutely. Well, I mean, we've covered it before and we'll probably speak more about it in the DVD club, but the best pieces of sci-fi comment on the direction of a society and that is certainly the case here. You know, Jones creates this world where everyone is walking around, looking down, looking at their devices, very little human-to-human interaction, Mm -hmm. personal letters are being outsourced to these big corporations to be written by professional writers. It's not a massive stretch from where we are today. Absolutely. So... (laughs) It's almost like a kind of hipster utopia for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's like hipster uh, granddad collared shirts buttoned up to 11, mm-hmm. clashing socks and mustaches and a kind of Instagram dystopia. Yeah, it's good. And uh, it's, it's really slick. I mean, for, for me, like, the world they live in is, is, is so cool. It seems, you know, everything, there's no litter, there's no billboards or mm-hmm. posters. It's all just very nicely designed stuff. But in with that world, there's a kind of washed out and inhumane filter, much like an Instagram filter, Michael, oh, yeah. which which I thought really lent it to, to the message in the film. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, you know, sort of stepping back and looking at the story, I mean, mm-hmm. it is an uncomfortable subject matter. I, the first few times I saw the trailers for it, I was like, ooh, I don't know about this. Like, yeah. And it's a tough sell, and I think it's kind of a one that will put people off. I think it's an idea that makes a lot of people, including me, uncomfortable. But I think one of its biggest successes is how normal this relationship manages to make it feel at times. I mean, yeah. you, still, you still get the uncomfortable moments. You get the, the, the use of a surrogate at one point, which is uh, oh just weird. But at the other times, when they're kind of just left to their, their own devices, own devices, um, <laughs> they... It, it feels kind of like a, a natural relationship, yeah. and, it, and it's nice. I, I, I think it's done really well. It's interesting, like uh, much like Don John, Theodore has trouble relating to women because of uh, distracting and destructive dependency on technology. And mm-hmm. I think everyone in the film's a victim of that, mm-hmm. and it's, this is something. It's a comment on how people today are getting far too distracted. They're relying on technology to make them feel connected with people when there's people all, all around them. Mm-hmm. I read a great review from somebody that said as soon as they got out of the cinema, 
they got onto their phones to find a forum to talk about it instead of talking <laughs> to the people that they'd be in the cinema yeah. with them right beside them uh, it's, it's a very refreshing direction I think yeah. Yeah, yeah. and it captures this unconventional relationship in like a normal way I think it's really well done the way it sort of captures the growth of this couple you know you kind of have the flirty beginning mm. you have this sense of a growing attraction between them in terms of what they talk about they kind of make a personal connection once they they get intimate together there's jealousy there's arguments and then later on there's kind of this sense of outgrowing someone and i think it's yeah. just all very very well done yeah very it well is a, it's a very well yeah very well captured relationship very very bleak and heartbreaking but also in a rather Subtle and sad way, really human and life affirming. Mm -hmm. I'm getting pretty deep this week, man. I think it's a remarkable performance by Joaquin Phoenix, who obviously has to spend a lot of time talking to himself. But Scarlett Johansson, who we've talked about, who's been maybe sometimes reduced to nothing more than a pretty face here, she's the sex symbol, a sex symbol, if you will. She makes she's not in the film; it's just her voice, and I think her voice work is absolutely fantastic. Well, I think I'm going to jump in there, Michael. I think this is a really refreshing direction as far as females and how they're portrayed on film. Samantha is sexy and present and important without you ever seeing her in the flesh. Mm-hmm. And it shows just how sexy Scarlett Johansson is. She doesn't even have to be there <laughs> to be sexy. But uh, she grows as an entity as it goes on. Indeed. Like she's kind of unsure and at first she's there just kind of to serve, but then later she starts having these like deep existential conversations. And Well, this is, of course, the worry for the future, Michael, with these uh, artificial intelligences getting a bit, a bit too big for their boots and moving into the singularity, which is when they become self-aware, mm-hmm. which is what happens, of course, in the end, and all the devices bugger off to some mystical place. And, you know, that happens in... Uh, Terminator 2 and all goes wrong for humanity well if only they would just bugger off and be on their own at least they they don't then turn the tables on us exactly Mm. is she more sexy than Kevin Spacey in Moon no is she sexier (laughs) than Kit the talking car from Knight Rider I don't think she's that sexy it has to be said I mean I was really charmed by her yes I I thought like you kind of forget that she isn't an actual person and as someone who is in a long-distance relationship and you kind of have to rely on computers and on your phones a lot, mm-hmm. like, I related a lot to all of that. Wow. <laughs> but you, <laughs> Which, you, you still true. think the car is sexy? That's lovely. Oh, yeah, because that's Mr. Feeney from Boy Meets World. Sure is. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, quirky film, uh, but not... Um, but also like a, a cautionary tale. Mm-hmm. It's it's satirical without being ironic, mm-hmm. I think. And uh, yeah, as I mentioned, Jones' most complete work. He should be very proud of himself. Mm-hmm. As should Joaquin Phoenix and Scarlett Johansson. Yeah. Uh, in my version, I'd like to have Samantha from Six in the City as the voice. That would get so tiresome. <laughs> nice package. <laughs> Plug me in, I need to recharge. Oh, shit. <laughs> All right, so, yeah, I think that's a perfect note to end on. Why not? So, yes, Scarlett Johansson, I think we were both quite quite intrigued to be doing this as a top five. I think as we did our research, we were maybe a little bit disappointed, and I think the fact that her number... We agree on the number one and two film, and the fact that they are both from this year, I think... I think what we can kind of learn from that is maybe her best work is still to come and yeah. maybe she's like entering a really a really promising part of her career where yeah. we're going to see some really strong work from her because 
I think she's been terrific this year alone. I mean, obviously under the skin and her, but also she did she did very strong work again in the Captain America film. So, yeah, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Maybe it's one we'll revisit in a, a couple of years' time. And, yeah, and we'll have a completely different. Maybe next time we won't find uh, the research so hard. Maybe I'll stay away from Google Images next time. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so just to. Oh, <laughs> All right, so that was our top five films of Scarlett Johansson. For me, at number five, it was The Prestige. At number four, Lost in Translation. Number three, Avengers Assemble. Number two, Under the Skin. And number one, Her. What a solid and varied list, Michael. Mm -hmm. For me, uh, at number five, it was He's Just Not That Into You. And you were just not that into it. No, Drew Barrymore. Number four, Don John. Number three, Vicky Cristina Barcelona. And also Under the Skin and... Her taking the top two spots there. Jolly good. So it's been slightly sci-fi heavy already, but we're about to go even further into that with our DVD club selection for the week. Deeper into space. And now it is time for the Hi-Hat DVD club on the Hi-Hat film review. So Michael, what can we say about this silent running from 1971? Mm, 1972? Something like that. Why are we dipping between years so much this week? It's very strange, isn't yeah. it? Maybe that space year or so I'm thinking of. Maybe there's a discrepancy between the year on Rotten Tomatoes and the year <laughs> on IMDb. Could be. Yes, yeah, so Bruce Dern plays Freeman Lowell, a botanist slash astronaut working in a floating greenhouse in space with, for some reason, all flora on Earth has is extinct for yeah. some reason. Do they, do, they touch, do they touch on that? The, I think it's probably due to, to war or something. science. They mention... <laughs> They mentioned that they've been up there for eight years, right. and he's really keen to bring uh, vegetation back to, mm. to Earth, but his his colleagues on board say, it's been too long, man, people won't care about trees and stuff anymore. <laughs> so, yeah, so they're up there in space, they receive orders from Mission Control that the plant life on board is to be destroyed. When this happens, Lowe turns eco-warrior, taking drastic steps to ensure that that does not happen. Yeah. With sexy consequences. <laughs> well, I don't know about that. Right. He is a very sexy, sexy present man, though. Yeah. We see him swimming in some water naked at the start, <laughs> and that certainly caught And then attention. later we see him drinking out of it, he's so, like, Dirty dog. <laughs> what are you going to do in space, man? So, obviously, with sci-fi, it's a strong environmental message that is pushing forward and possibly a message that is more relevant today more than ever. More than ever, Michael. Um, we're, we're on the end game now. I mean, we're, we're done. Absolutely. Done I'm, I'm glad you brought this up. I, I was talking the other day to somebody and I was talking about trees getting cut down. I said, I saw this online somewhere, if trees gave out free Wi-Fi, we wouldn't be cutting them down, but they only give out air, Yeah. so forget them, you know? Uh, and the, yeah, and you know, this film, I thought it was dealt with really well, he, he does come off slightly unhinged as an eco-warrior mm -hmm. in space, but um, it's, it's, a really, it's a great performance, it's basically a one-man performance for most of the film, Yeah. and... Uh, I was not familiar with Bruce Dern before this, but yeah. he's got a very cool kind of hippie-esque, uh, but a very strong presence. Yeah. And yeah, very nice. I was, I was. It's, the DVD club's so great because it throws up these things that perhaps we wouldn't discover. Yeah. But you know, this is this is a cult classic, and mm -hmm. I, I can see why. As far as the the scenery goes and the special effects, mm -hmm. Michael, I think we should talk a bit about that because. 
that without that, this would be a very forgettable and dated film. I mm-hmm. think. Well, I mean, f- for me, it's a tr- it's it's a difficult one. I think because I do admire a lot about it, but at the same time, I think it's a film that in today's society it could be very very open to ridicule. Mm-hmm. So you have Bruce Dern playing this character who isn't your traditional kind of hero. He's a bit sappy. He's a bit of a weirdo. He goes on these like little rants, and he goes, mm-hmm. you know, he, he's all a little bit desperate. For certainly in the beginning, and he's kind of trod on by the other members of the crew. You wouldn't want to invite him to a poker game yeah. unless there was only three, three, three <laughs> other guys on the ship. Yeah, and uh, as well as that, you've got this kind of warbling soundtrack from Joan Baez, which I know you don't particularly oh like. God. You've got these pl- plodding drones who I love, but they are they're comical and dated to it. Yeah. I would have to say. Well, I quite like them. The little robots, the little drones. They're 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 mm. cute and yeah. It's it's tough to get um, a lot of humanity out of something without a face. Yeah, and uh, I think they do that very well. But all that being said, I think it goes a lo- there's a lot more to it than this. Mm. I mean, I agree with you. I think Bruce Dern is terrific. I think he's brilliant in it, and I, I think it it really looks nice. Yeah, I mean, we've talked about like model work and stuff like that before, Absolutely. and yeah, the special effects are 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 really really striking. I'm just looking at a picture now of um, of one of the guys inside the robot mm-hmm. costumes, and it was a uh, you know guys with uh, with no legs, yeah. and they're using their arms. So you have to look at these drones because I was watching the film and I was thinking how have they how have they done this? Yeah. And a bit of research led me to to see this, and very very interesting. Um, Douglas Trumbull, yep. who directed this, worked before with special effects on uh, 2001: A Space Odyssey, yeah. and would go on to work uh, on one of my favorite sci-fi films, Blade, Blade Runner. Runner. And you know he's done terrific work, Close Encounter of the Third Time, Star Trek: Wrath of Khan. Mm. Yeah, he was only 28 when I direct when he directed this, yeah. and um, you get the impression from his body of work that he was very hands-on with the sets mm-hmm. and they all I mean they look absolutely fantastic that's yeah. exactly how I would imagine it to look it's mm-hmm. almost it reminds me a bit of Red Dwarf in a way yeah. Like, yeah, a, like a very, very. Big, bu- big budget version of Red Dwarf and um, yeah it was it, I, I completely bought it yeah even though I mean 1971 is a long time ago yeah now but I, I completely bought into it Every aspect of it. Um, I'm pleased to hear you say that. I, I honestly thought you would struggle with it. And I, I watched it again. Uh, I, I had seen it before. I watched it again for this. And I, I definitely enjoyed it a lot more the second time. Like, I sort of knew what I was getting out of it. And, I, you know, when you sort of step back, I mean, Dern is fantastic. It's a very nuanced performance. It's a very expressive performance. You know, he's kind of passionate but pathetic and later on he obviously bears the weight of of what he what he's done and we perhaps don't want to go too much into that mm. but he does that very well but in the beginning in the earlier interactions with the crew as well you can just like you get a lot of kind of close-ups on his face and you can just sort of see he's a very very troubled man yeah it's, uh, very intense yeah he's not he's never like completely likable like there's never a bit where you're like yeah this is like this is our hero yeah like, that, that's a very interesting point because his he does some terrible things in the film but mm-hmm. he completely believes mm-hmm. that this is the right thing to do and mm-hmm. you know there's a lot of screen baddies that are very two dimensional and are just evil mm-hmm. and almost senselessly evil but mm-hmm. a real good baddie completely believes that he is in the right we mm-hmm. saw that very well in um, the last Superman film mm-hmm. with uh, our man Michael Shannon. Michael Shannon, yep. friend of the show, 
although you can't quite get behind him as a good guy, as you said, as our hero, you definitely are convinced by his beliefs. And, yeah, and I see and his, like, you see his point. I kind of agree, These the forests are worth saving. Yes. And even at the beginning, you just, but even before what happens happens, you're just kind of like, oh, mate, just yeah, chill out a little bit. Cool it off. Yeah. He's one of these eco-warriors that puts, you know, the life of a tree or the life of a mm. sapling above the life of a human being, mm-hmm. almost. And, um, yeah, it's a tricky one to watch. Even for sci-fi fans, I believe that, you know, this is a tricky one to get on it's, board with. There's no guns. There's, yeah. there's no, you know, we've got these little robots, but we've not got, like, stormtroopers or big spaceships or it is a, chases. It's very different in many ways to other sci-fis. I think tonally it's like... It, yes, it, it embraces some dark subject matters, but it's kind of low on the excitement stage, and as I mentioned, the hero is completely different in them from what you might see, so it, it's completely different, but yeah, it's, it's a striking film. I mean, there's lots that I like about it. You know, Dern is great. I think it looks brilliant. I love the old school models. I think the drones are great, and uh, you know, obviously, the, the drones almost feel more human, and they they do like <laughs> one of my favorite bits is just a bit where like he he kind of tells them all to stop work. They're outside working, and he like goes on the morning. He's like, "Oh, just everyone wait right there." And then there's one that's just sort of tapping tapping its foot impatiently. Yeah. It's just like that. That's great. That's really nice. There's some real comedy in it as well. It's hard to kind of pull off comedy when it's just you and you're on your own in the room, and it's, he's with these two robots, and he he programs them to play. Poker with him, yeah. And the first couple of times, the robots aren't quite getting it. And he's getting, yeah. he's getting really frustrated with the robots for not getting it. And then yeah. one of them has a full yeah. house. And they, they cheat though, right? There's a bit where he cheats. I don't know. Yeah, I think there is a bit he where shows, he shows, like he shows the other one his cards. Yeah, that's what I thought. The they robots kind of are kind of one. in cahoots yeah. and they're talking in robot language. And yeah. he's like, "Come on, guys, that's going to be a, a house rule. No more talking between the drones." Yeah. And then the robot like plays his hand, but he doesn't just like put it down. It's almost like he kind of <laughs> does it twice to kind of yeah. read them and weep kind of thing. <laughs> and it's great to see from this faceless robot. And it's just it's yeah. it's a good tender moment. And yeah. it's, it's these moments that, that lift the film from being a very lonely. Uh, kind of sci-fi film mm-hmm. very good loved it um, oh good a quick quick shout out to um, Micro Machines the Playstation oh, game yeah. because there's a scene at the start where they're driving around in these tiny little go-kart like buggies and they just look like that Micro Machines when you're tearing around the pool table and stuff yeah. like that no I, I agree that was a really good observation really cool like and it's interesting you can see how this film's influenced other films such as Moon which mm-hmm. we mentioned just before with the lonely guy in space with just you mm-hmm. know just tearing around the, the spaceship on itself and uh, WALL-E yep. the, the drones are very similar to WALL-E and countless others I'm, I'm sure I've, mm-hmm. I've missed them out uh, but yeah thank you very much for that the soundtrack for me though Michael oh my goodness maybe, yeah. we'll, maybe we'll play a bit of this song because it just comes out of nowhere <laughs> and it just it, for me it spoiled the mood completely because the rest of the score is, is really apt and then this song by uh, Joan Baez is it? Baez yeah and the song's called like Rejoice in the Sun it's yeah. so hippy and so 70s it's, it's, uh, it's tough yeah, well, I, I feel like almost we should give the final word to John Fitzpatrick, who selected it, and uh, we did ask people to leave a comment on our Facebook page about it, and he wrote, uh, he gushed about it, he clearly loves it, so John writes, Without this, there would be no Wally, Omega Man, and the like. Lovely retro-futurism that it still stands as a sci-fi staple to this day, kind of. Sci-fi tropes which feel familiar while still unique, the human characters being non-caring and cold, while the drones serve as the real emotional baggage of the film. Dern as a weird space monk and the drone surgery scene makes me choked up every time I see it. Good choice indeed. Well, 
he's kind of blowing his own trumpet at the end. Uh, <laughs> uh, yes, so thank you very much for that, John. And onwards and upwards, of course, we do need to talk about uh, this week's choice in the DVD club. And now uh, this one, we, we kind of opened it up to the High Hatters. We did one of our film quote quizzes on the Facebook page where I post a film quote and you have to guess what it's from. That's fun. Preferably not by putting it into Google. And I asked Samantha. Yeah. She said, mm, thank you, boy. <laughs> So, getting it right this time was regular contributor. He's probably had more choices for the DVD club than anybody else. Andy Fennick, who chose Guy Madden's documentary, well, as he described it, Docu-Fantasia, My Winnipeg. 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 Snowy, sleepwalking Winnipeg. My home for my entire life. I need to get out of here. I must leave it now. What if I film my way out of here? It's time for extreme measures. I sublet for one month the house in which I grew up. In action. Only here can I properly recreate the archetypal episodes from my family history. I hire actors to play my brothers and sister. My dog Toby to be played by my girlfriend's dog Spanky. It's time to get to work. Mother, I had an accident. I ran into a deer. What were you doing out there? A track team party. Where did it happen? In the back seat. Mother, what happened? The real party. My mother. As perennial as the winter, as ancient as the bison, a magnetic pole, a direction from which I can't turn for long. An action. You have to feed us. My cooking days are over. We brought the parakeet with us. I'll call him off if you get up and make us some meatloaf. Right, right now. now. Docu Fantasia. That's what he's written. He's having a laugh. So, just to the IMD synopsis fact, fantasy, and memory are woven seamlessly together in this portrait of filmmaker Guy Madden's hometown of Winnipeg, Manitoba. So, Guy Madden, I'm kind of familiar with. He does a lot of interesting stuff. I think it'll, it'll be a good watch anyway. And uh, we do invite. As always, our high hatters to, to to get it watched before uh, before our next episode, get which watched. will hopefully be up in. I think there's the next a link on our Facebook page to to view the film, is there? We'll we'll see about that. Okay. I don't, we don't want to pro- promote illegal activity. But I suppose if, the lawyers they come back and say it's cool. Right. Well, if we can find a way of getting that up, then we will we'll do that. Okay. All right. There we go, Michael. Another episode in the bag. In the bag. I've had uh, out of this episode, we've really decided that I'm going to go ahead and do a stage production of He's Just Not That Into You. I support this venture. With Vince Vaughn. I don't support that venture. With um, Anna Faris. Anna Faris. With Samantha mm-hmm. from Sex and the City. But she's going to play the part of the operating system, Samantha, in the head of everyone. Right. <laughs> okay. This is happening. I'm on board. Good. Alright, so thank you everybody for listening. Just a couple of shout-outs before we finish. We're back on iTunes, Nick. Back on iTunes. Praise so, uh, praise the Lord. Yeah. Praise Back you. in the big time. We're, we're back there. You can leave us a comment. You can give us feedback. You can download yeah. it automatically. Subscribe to the High Hat Film Podcast. It happens amazingly quickly. It is the future. Excited. <laughs> and uh, if you do want to go on iTunes and leave us a little review, that apparently does help us as well. So please, you know, that. just take 20 seconds of your time and just write those so good or something like that. And that would be remarkably helpful. 
If you want to join the community, we're up to over, well, well into 100 likes now on our Hi-Hat Facebook page. So www.facebook.com forward slash Hi-Hat Film Review is the place to go for that. We do film review quizzes, we talk about upcoming films, we do all, all sorts of stuff on that. And keep the suggestions for top fives coming in. Yes, please do. Suggestions for top fives and for the DVD club. If you want to check out our archive of older episodes... Totally, you should as well. Yeah, you should. Our last, our, every episode we've done this year is on iTunes now, but if you want to go back further, there's still a good 15 or so episodes at hihatfilmpodcast.tumblr.com. And if you go to hihatfilmreview.tumblr.com, we've got a lot of written reviews on there as well. So lots of good stuff on there, Nick. That, that was back when you stopped, before you started editing out all my Ryan Gosling yes, rants. that's true. And they were all still in there. There's far more Gosling in the earlier episodes. There's far more uh, Mira Savani. Who? <laughs> Chloe Savigny. Chloe Savigny. Shit. And Anna There's far more Chloe Savigny in all those old episodes, older episodes. I'll ask her. She's up for the screenplay as well. Yep. So yes, thank you. Oh, that, that just about wraps up another, it another does great up. episode. Thank you all very much for listening. We're going to be back. We can try and get a couple more episodes under our belt. Quicker. Going to get the turnaround going quicker. I think. Thank you very much, Nick. It's been a pleasure as always. Oh, let's shake hands on this one. Yes. Very good. So we're going to have a little bit of Joan Baez to play us out, Nick. You want to paint pictures with words and tell us uh, wh- where does this song come in okay. on Silent Running? So in Silent Running, this song comes in as if out of nowhere. We're just beginning a nice uh, montage of our space-bound eco-warrior, and he's in his little um, forest pod, wandering around, taking in the sights. He's catching birds on his hand. He's swimming naked in the water. He's um, tumbling with rabbits and just taking it all in mm. and then this lovely piece of music comes in so to play us out is uh, Joan Baez with Rejoice in the Sun Ah, just beautiful Fields of children running wild in the sun
for relaxing times. Make it Suntory time. Oh, just lovely. <laughs>